Time for a tacky talk this time, rather official looking state representative uh, Tacky Chan in his state house office in a suit and tie. Hi, Tacky. Hey, good morning, Joe. Uh, yes, I do have an office, everyone. I do actually come to the office these days. Um, today, we actually have a, a couple of things going on in the state house. One is the state Senate's doing a uh, informal session recognizing uh, Bill Welch. Bill Welch was a Senate clerk uh, for many years, as well as a Page and um, Stafford, the uh, Senate Clerk's Office. Uh, those of you know, I worked in the Senate for a long time. Billy's an old friend. Another individual taught me how the state house works and the processes and you know, how to file things correctly. You know, all these you know small details and work that you may not be aware of. Someone had to teach me how to do. So uh, the Senate Clerk's Office was you know indispensable as a, as a young person uh, working in the state house and. Secondly, we're actually in a joint caucus up here uh, with both Republicans and Democrats. Um, today's discussion involves uh, staffing um, issues in the state house pertaining to their uh, salary adjustments. Uh, we are obviously expecting an increased salary for our staff, which I won't lie, they deserve every dollar they can get. Um, but under equal pay for equal work, uh, we've been trying to create a scheme up here where it properly reflects uh, the amount of work they do uh, for the different committees and their different bosses uh, comparable to the, to the effort they put in. It's it's a little tricky in the state house because uh, everybody has a different district, everybody has different constituent needs, and every committee has different uh, levels of work. I have a very high and complicated committee, you guys learned over time. And so as a result, my staff works very, very hard uh, to try to you know get these things done correctly. Other committees have lighter loads. Um, so, you know, not everybody's ways and means where to get deluge, uh, but there's also small committees, committees like um, uh, science and tech or exports, which are uh, more like oversight committees uh, than they are uh, large policy committees. So, you know, they've been working on this for quite some time uh, in the speaker's office and you know, obviously uh, legislature has been asking for staff uh, pay increases for quite some time. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a busy afternoon. We should uh, begin uh, right off the bat with saying congratulations on your very, very strong uh, showing on uh, election day and uh, your reelection to office. Oh, thank you very much, Joe. I'm very happy uh, for the opportunity to represent the second Norfolk district or you know, really representing Quincy along with my colleagues, uh, Bruce Ayers, uh, Ron Mariano and uh, John Keenan. And uh, very thankful for the voters to let me have a job again. And uh, it's always my honor to work for you and I will always try to do my best and I try to be as straightforward as possible and not always going to like my answer, but, you know, I, I do like to believe I do my homework uh, as part of a conversation with uh, anyone who wants to talk to me. So uh, very happy to do so. And, and uh, you know, vote of confidence, 70% uh, of the vote uh, is definitely a vote of confidence in my mind um, from my constituency uh, that, uh, you know, I, I deserve to come back again. It's, it's, it's an election, right? You have to deserve to come back. Seventh term now, Tacky? It is. Time flies when you're having fun. And people keep telling me my hair is still black. <laughs> you still have hair. <laughs> um, quite a historic night, really, in, in Massachusetts um, uh, after the election with uh, women really taking a leading role now in constitutional offices. Yeah, you know, as a longtime observer of politics and, and you know, continually learning lessons, I'm always learning lessons in this job. 
as times change. You know, we've had this conversation of a big uh, woman uh, elected wave over the years, uh, but this is definitely the year that it finally happened. I mean, I remember when Hillary Clinton ran for president uh, the first time, it was like, you know, you know, it's it's a wave coming. And it never quite materialized the way people thought. Um, but people also should remember that, uh, you know, we already had Sue Bump and Deb Goldberg uh, as well, uh, who, you know, also pioneered positions in state government, you know, first female uh, treasurer, first female, I'm sorry, second female treasurer. Shannon O'Brien was the first female treasurer. But uh, Deb Goldberg, second female treasurer, and then you had your first state auditor in Suzanne Bump. Um, then you have Karen Polito as your lieutenant governor. So, you know, inside, and the Maura Healy uh, was the AG before Maura was Martha Coakley. So you had, uh, you know, under the other constitutional officers that weren't uh, male. So you had a Governor Baker, you know, Charlie Baker, then you had Karen Polito, Maura Healy, Deb Goldberg, Sue Bump, you know, Secretary Galvin. So of, the, of that group, you only had uh, two men. So now referred to as, you know, you know the five women of Bill Galvin. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and there was a female candidate uh, for Secretary of State also. Um, so that that may change in the future, too. Yes. And uh, he had a female candidate in the final as well. So a prim right. primary and final for Bill Galvin. But, you know, uh, as a, a Secretary of State for a long time here, he's actually uh, through actually most of his career was the highest ranking democratic official under the constitution because once he get past the governor lieutenant governor and the chain of succession secretary of state so when the governor lieutenant governor both take vacation and they do take vacation every so often you know uh, secretary galvin uh, is the gov acting governor for the time period they're physically out of state right so yeah. uh, you know uh, from the democratic party standpoint i mean secretary galvin has uh, been the starward of uh, the Democratic Party in Massachusetts, when you think about it, you know, Bill Weld, Paul Salucci, Jane Swift, Mitt Romney, they had the, the eight years of Deval Patrick, and you have eight years of Charlie Baker, and now we're the beginning of four years of uh, Maura Healy, you know, of that time period of, of Secretary Galvin uh, being here so long. I mean, he, he was definitely the, the highest ranking Democrat for a very long time. Oh, yeah, sure. Actually, you mentioned Jane Swift. We shouldn't forget she wasn't elected governor, but she did become acting governor after Paul Salucci became ambassador um, up in Canada. Yes, that's why the news media refers to Maura Healy as the first elected woman. Right. Uh, under the Constitution, uh, if the governor departs, the official title, no joke, is acting governor. It is in the Constitution. So when we did uh, letters uh, back again in staffing days to uh, Jane Swift, I would actually have to use the word acting governor as addressing uh, uh, Jane Swift, even though the media and other folks refer to her as Governor Swift uh, for the purposes of documentation, actually refer to her as acting governor. Yep, yep. So what happens now, Tacky, um, uh, with the transition? What's the process? Well, uh, Kim Driscoll, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor-elect, uh, is going to head the transition team. Um, the governor, as you saw, you know, Governor Baker is going to cooperate uh, and have his team work with uh, more Healy's team, uh, they don't they get like 24 hours of sleep and off they run again, uh, setting up the government prior to swearing in day. Uh, hopefully, uh, some of the larger cabinet positions will be announced before the year turns. If not, you know, maybe by end of month, who knows? I have no idea. I just know some of the, you know, higher end secretaries will get announced as well as the chief of staff and the core executive team. Um, but transition teams are, can be very large because government is big uh, and there's so many different topic matters and expertise. 
And uh, it's it's a bunch of strangers jammed in a room together uh, in different segments of the policy areas, you know, for about a six to eight week period. So we'll see how that uh, all plays out. Um, uh, I hope to have conversation with the newly elected at some point, um, but I do recognize that their schedule is already probably packed with people wanting to talk to them right away. So, sure. yeah. but you know, I'm hopeful and, and I'm attempting to see if we can get on one of their calendars. Obviously the um, the delegation in Quincy has not changed, but you'll have new colleagues in the house to meet, right? Absolutely. We're looking um, at uh, four seats that were Republican held uh, that uh, flip Democrat. One is kind of in a question mark uh, out in the Groton area. Um, it's a very tight race of 32 votes. So that, that may be looking at a recount, but uh, pretty much everywhere else uh, is outside the recount possibility. Um, so uh, all our uh, incumbent uh, Republican friends are still in place. All Democrat uh, primary winners uh, also are in place that are incumbents uh, in uh, the open seats. Um, you know, the war Republican uh, appears to have gone Democrats, at least four of them, minimum, at least minimum three, perhaps four, depending on potential recount situation. And, um, you know, and it was it was a pretty solid win all around. The, mm-hmm. Um, even my numbers was actually pretty fascinating as I kind of started breaking down the, the statistics a little bit. I haven't a chance to really study all my numbers. Uh, you know, the Republican um, vote count in Quincy uh, was not as strong as it has been in the past year in raw number. So, uh, you know, it could reflect um, Republicans not as interested in voting a Republican, or, or uh, they may have cast blank ballots, mm-hmm. or uh, you know they may have uh, cherry picked the choices of candidates. Uh, you know, I call it the checkerboard, right? You you just pick the ones uh, you want. You don't vote down the party line. So any number of reasons, which um, you know, I'm not going as you can tell, there's any number of reasons. It's not one sole reason that that the numbers seem a little bit lower in the Quincy area on, on Republican votes. On the flip side, uh, Democratic well, turnout continues to keep growing mm-hmm. from what I can see. And, um, you know, if you look at the totals for statewide candidates, you know, the, the, the citywide, including our good colleague, John Keenan, uh, you know, it was easily two to one margins for Democrats in Quincy. Oh, no question. Yeah. Can we talk about uh, something we've been talking about for months now, the ballot questions, and uh, they all passed except the uh, the liquor license change. Yeah, this I think we've talked about this before. Uh, you know, it kind of went pretty much the way I thought it would go. Yeah. Uh, as we were discussing this for several months now. I mean, question one, you know, I was, I, we both talked about it was losing momentum uh, as we got closer to election day, as the advertising came hot and heavy. And, you know, in, they were all mostly true. I'm not going to, you know, say they were 100% true in the commercials, but they were, both of them were accurate enough that I think voters got a good feel of the right. Uh, choices they think you know that the voter wants to make the right choice in, in uh, the means to their lives. Uh, question two, uh, I think, was pretty straightforward. You know, you want to ensure the eighty-three cents of your dollar and your premiums are guaranteed to go to your dental care. If the premium goes up, more money goes to your dental care. It's not complicated. And you have to ins- and there's a caps on insurance companies uh, to try to raise premiums and. And uh, they uh, have to give you a refund if they're not properly using your money to spend on you. So I think, you know, 70, what, 1% uh, yep. the vote went that direction. I think yep, was, that one was the strongest, actually. Yep. Yeah, I think the voters figured that out pretty quickly. Yeah. 
And uh, question three about expanding liquor licenses for beer and wine retail uh, didn't succeed. It actually got defeated pretty solidly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of voter confusion regarding exactly what this was about. I agree. Stores asking for more liquor store licenses, uh, but did not receive a lot of advertising, no mailers, very few commercials other than the opposition commercials, uh, which was funded by Total Wines. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think people who uh, can get alcohol without much difficulty where they live, don't see why they need more uh, locations. And question four, uh, you know, on, on the driver's license issues, we talk ad nauseasum uh, already about, you know, this is not a full uh, undocumented license bill to give every undocumented. It actually creates a very narrow group of folks that can prove uh, the identification by uh, of a valid uh, passport that has not expired or constant identification, passing a driving exam, you just have to pay for driving school, as well as passing the RMB exam as well. So it's, again, a very narrow set of undocumented uh, folks we're talking about. And the voters, um, you know, felt comfortable uh, that safety in the roads, ensuring there was an accident that uh, insurance will cover uh, if there's an unfortunate accident because uh, insurance companies will not try to pay out if the driver is a unlicensed driver, as a matter your legal status, it's about not having a license uh, that will very much hurt victims. Um, and like Arbella Insurance, for example, is one of the proponents of uh, question uh, four. Uh, if you look at the bottom commercial, uh, you know, the disclosure in the bottom, uh, you know, reflecting the fact the insurance industry wants to ensure that, uh, you know, wants to make sure that people are properly covered and, um, you know, insurance companies, you know, will try to get money out of other insurance companies, you know, to pay claims. So. Yeah. This, this makes a lot of sense in their world yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't require them. Obviously, they can have a license and drive somebody else's car and not have insurance, but it's a, it's another step in the process. Yeah, if, if I drive someone else's car and I, you know, I'm a licensed valid driver, uh, you know, their, their insurance of the car you're in driving in will cover you as long as you're uh, not stolen the car. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And, which, which is uh, already a crime, so yeah. It's already, yeah, already a crime. And uh, my driver's license is valid. Um, you know, and that's like the whole issue about uh, driving other vehicles, like, you know, car rentals. You know, you can buy the extra insurance if you want, but, you know, your uh, car insurance follows you uh, to car rentals. Right? Say you should buy sex insurance. Well, if it ain't too expensive, you know, what's the harm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if, it's, if it's, you know, not that much more money, it doesn't hurt to have a little extra coverage. Uh, particularly when you're driving in a place you know nothing about, right? Yeah. I, mean, I bought extra coverage only because, like, I don't know where I am. Anything could happen. It's true. Um, so, it's yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's a big deal. It's a great win, not necessarily just for uh, undocumented uh, individuals that are trying to get to work, but also for you know, God forbid, somebody's an accident um, that uh, you know get coverage. And when police pull over a driver. Uh, they actually have a proper documentation and the police can look them up on their database to find out there's any outstanding charges. If you got no license, they have no ability to prove who they are. They can start giving aliases and whatnot. So it's also good for the law enforcement to know who it is behind that wheel. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the closest one, the closest question, actually, um, because of the argument of the voter registration issue. I think that was the main argument against it.
Yeah, that's a red herring. I mean, I talked to folks about this and we talked about it as well. I mean, a driver's license is not a prerequisite to a registered vote at all. It's actually a social security number. And nowadays it only lasts four digits social security number. Uh, the registry of motor vehicles has zero power to make voters. They do not have that ability. It's a secretary of state and city uh, that actually has the final say via the central voter database, which is cross-referenced with information from Washington, from the social security office to ensure that your citizenship is correct. Social security does not guarantee citizenship, but it, they can actually uh, determine that from down there. Uh, that's why you have identifications like birth certificates, as well as picture IDs as part of voter registration. There's concern regarding your identity. Um, and also, uh, we also have a lot of people get driver's license who are not US citizens. Yep. And this is the part that's really kind of baffling me is that you know, people say, oh, it affects voters. Well, what about all those people on work visas, all those student visas? Yeah, you know, people with green cons- cards. Yeah. yeah, the consulates. We have we have uh, over 40 consulate and consulate staff in uh, Massachusetts. They got driver's licenses to drive in this state. And we have reciprocal licensing, uh, Taiwan being an example. If you have a Taiwanese driver's license and, and you come to the U.S. on legal status, uh, you know, you can get a Massachusetts driver's license reciprocation. So this whole driver's licensing is, is absolutely a reflection of ignorance of how things work regarding a voter registration, voter verification, and what the RMV uh, does. And actually, the number of people who are here who are not U.S. citizens getting driver's licenses. Right. That was the, you know, they were they were calling them illegal. They're not, they're undocumented. That's different. As I remind folks, only the court declare what's legal or right. illegal. Uh, law enforcement can arrest you, uh, uh, or, you know, but it's not an official, you know, crime. It's a crime, but it's not an official crime to the court says it's a crime. Right. And this is a real kind of interesting nuance uh, in law enforcement. I think people don't understand is you're charged, but if you're acquitted, well, technically it wasn't illegal. That's right. In the eyes of the law. Yeah, exactly. It is not for me to judge or you to judge. It's for a judge to judge. Let's talk a little bit about national politics, if we can, Taki, uh, as a student of government, uh, your, your take on what's going on still. Yeah, the, the endless election, right, that <laughs> we're still observing. Uh, obviously, in every state, there's different laws. Many of you probably read in the paper, you know, whether they expand voting rights in the sense of accessibility of voting or res- different types of restrictions of access to voting. But clearly, people were going to vote, uh, regardless of whatever happened in that state's voting process and strong effort. In many states from getting out to vote, people showed up. Mm-hmm. Young people, down. young people came out this time, yeah. A lot of people, young people, a very large demographic, uh, you know, whether it be mail-in vote, early vote, in-person vote, people showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, those you've heard ad nauseum as well on the news, you know, when the president's in power, it's bad for them in Congress in mid-year election. Your poll rating is, approval rating is, you know, low, uh, that is pretty much uh, going to reflect the success rate of your incumbent party in states that are contested. Uh, this is the first race uh, after 2020 census. That's right. So these are the new congressional lines in the majority of states. I, I know this is something before the Supreme Court and they're contested. But I mean, you know, let's call it what it is. There's gerrymandering, folks. I mean, you know, let's call this, you know, a spade a spade, folks. Right. Now, all these states, you know, different political parties been trying to gerrymander themselves uh, to uh, states that uh, to districts that are favorable to their political party, uh, although there's some surprises, of course. I mean, parts of California, which are solidly uh, Democratic locations, actually are at risk of looking uh, Republican, despite 
uh, changes in district lines. Uh, same thing in New York. Uh, there was a large talk about and continue large talk about some of these uh, uh, not quite finished counting, but may flip Republican final count uh, as they're still counting in mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. And the Republican Party may benefit from this. I know it's surprising to hear from a Democratic state, but you know Republicans do benefit from mail-in ballots as well. Depending on the, the turnout in that particular district. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in some some areas, they will benefit from this. You, yeah. you never hear them say that from the National Party, but believe me, they're going to be benefited from this in certain, certain states. Right. And uh, you know, they have some, you know, great <laughs> ranked choice voting ballots up in uh, Alaska and Maine and a couple of other spots uh, that are, you know, extending the period of time for finding determination. Uh, even though the polling is projecting winners already, they don't have a final count for some time because ranked choice voting is a long time to go through the numbers to get a final decision. So, um, you know, but you're all wondering how come this, you know, red wave uh, didn't materialize. And uh, when I say red wave, I mean, you know, you're looking at a plus 40 and over for Republicans taking over the House and, you know, an easy five, five plus in the Senate to secure the Senate. Now uh, they're looking at a mind, uh, you know, under uh, 10, uh, between zero or well, one and 10 increase in the House. And, you know, perhaps possibly uh, a status quo of 50-50 Senate, but, you know, one branch goes to the other party, gridlock's going to occur at some level anyway. Right. Yep. So, you know, in a lot of states were considered, you know, flip states, uh, and some people who thought there were solid seats in both political parties were flipping everywhere. So, you know, a lot of theories going on, right? I mean, you know, to be honest with you, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party should have lost at least 40 seats this cycle. And it isn't going to happen. And uh, and like I said, it's, you know, solid you know, Democrats, solid Republicans didn't move, but everywhere started flipping around. And, um, you know, President Trump uh, is not a beneficiary. Every state that was considered a potential flip or a purple situation, so to speak. You know, he, his candidates did not do that great. Solid uh, Republican states, his candidates, okay. Uh, but those are super solid Republican districts. Uh, so uh, his, his ability to influence uh, moderate voters, uh, unenrolled voters, you know, voters that vote either party, depending on the cycle, um, you know, looks like went Democrat this time. And yeah. the polling showed that the number one issue is inflation economy. We talked yeah. about this you know, uh, about voting your pocketbook, but abortion continues to be a high uh, on people's minds, regardless of political party, uh, as a major concern regarding health, uh, reproductive, but also personal health care rights. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had five states um, try to amend their constitution uh, regarding uh, your health care. It's not just about abortion, but, you know, ability to choose your health care uh, in some states and, uh, you know, mixed results. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as some of these uh, elections are going to continue, like Georgia's runoff, the only state has a weird runoff requirement. You don't get 50%, you don't count. You got to start over again in two or three weeks. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, the voters you know, will, will respond to Georgia, uh, especially after the last runoff, when it was a Democratic sweep of both Senate seats. So, and, and that was not that long ago. That's right, yeah. Uh, so I think a lot, news to a lot of people, I think that individual states have their own different election rules. You know, there is there is no national policy, if you will. Yeah. And they all use different voting um, mechanisms. For example, the county uh, system runs the uh, voting system. Right. Uh, all top of Maripoca, Maripoca County in Arizona. Am I pronouncing yep. it? I think that's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they are, their county government runs the election. In the right. it's Arizona, I mean, a lot of the uh, states that people uh, claiming had election fraud are run by Republican-dominated uh, county officials, uh, which, you know, maybe, but they're elected to a job. And, you know, partisanship uh, should not be part of doing a job when you're trying to uh, preserve the integrity of uh, people's vote, especially, even if you're elected official or appointed official. And, uh, you know, places like Nevada, for example, uh, required uh, everyone to receive a mail-in ballot by mail. Uh, and uh, some states um, like Arizona require signature verification. So as part of uh, the mail-in ballot, they actually have to match your signature on the ballot to the voter card. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it slows down the process, which yep. is almost like saying there's some kind of fraud because you used to just slip your thing in the machine and you're done. But, you know, if you want a voter uh, security uh, over there in Arizona, because it's such a huge question mark over a lot of things, you know, you know, a voter, a voter, uh, in, you know, failing if you have the envelope, you mail it in, you have to sign mm-hmm. it. The matching goes against voter cards. Hmm. Okay. All that right. takes time. That does take time. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's such a, you know, we forget a lot of these states are so spread out um, geographically here in Massachusetts. We're all kind of tightly compacted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, places like Texas, Oklahoma, big open spaces between locations, even Florida, go to the panhandle, a lot of open space uh, to get to a polling location. It's, yep. it's a legit drive. Yeah, you know, the, in, you know, access to voting uh, is, um, you know, it's a big deal. That you're right. We take for granted in Massachusetts because everything's so close. But if you got to drive like 25 miles or 30 miles to vote, I mean, vote that becomes a negative voter access. I don't yeah. care what political party you're in. I oh, mean, absolutely. Yeah, and then wait in line on top of it because it's the only polling place for miles. Yeah, I mean, it's a legit effort in some of these yeah. most sparse regions. Uh, which is kind of funny because mail-in voting should be uh, much more popular, and I think is popular in, in sparser regions as well as early voting in sparser regions. It's more opportunity for people to uh, be able to vote. And you know, in some countries, actually have long voting periods. India is my favorite example. They got voting periods that goes on the full month. Wow! Because the rural areas uh, is difficult to get to a voting location because yeah, yeah. only rural areas in India. And that's what, that's the largest democracy in the world, right? Over a billion voters. Yeah. Uh, and they have a turnout of well over 80% many years. That's yeah. a lot of paper to count. Yeah. That's a lot of ballots, folks. Yeah. I mean, when you're doing like 800 million ballots, you know, that's, you know, and people, you know, will only go to certain uh, um, urban centers for business during certain times of year. So, you know, uh, you know, it's the largest democracy who tries to, you know, while they don't have mail-in ballots, you know, uh, the alternative is to just keep polling open mm-hmm. uh, in urban areas where people in village areas only need to come to urban areas every, you know, infrequently to do the sure. business. Yeah. So, I mean, voting is different everywhere. Um, it's very challenging. Uh, we are very blessed, of course, with, you know, very, very competent Secretary of State, very competent city and town clerks. No, I, I can't speak in well enough with the great job Nikki Crispo does in Quincy um, to make sure everything's, you know, all good. And of course, you know, what's the support of the city council because, you know, uh, they have to choose the polling places. They have to choose um, dates of local elections. State elections, obviously, the one state law. But I mean, they also have to uh, ensure there's proper funding uh, mm-hmm. to uh, the city clerk's office and law enforcement 
uh, to protect the integrity of the voting Quincy. So, and of course, poll workers, you know, I know it's hard, you know, a long day at the polls. My mom did poll working for about 10 years. Uh, and obviously we have a large non-English speaking population and uh, you need a lot of patience at the polls to help you vote to ensure that you know, they are able to vote. Yep, absolutely. And I've, I've witnessed it firsthand for many, many years that they take it very seriously. Every single vote, every single person that has a, a question or an issue, everything stops and they deal with it right then and there. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've you know, witnessed that myself on a few very busy elections uh, just to see how people are doing. And, um, you know, they, they do a lot of work. They try their best. Uh, and I think early voting and mail-in voting helps that uh, release some of that pressure mm -hmm. uh, where you don't have to try to slow down the line because someone is having a, a difficulty either understanding the ballot, um, in the case of primary, picking the right ballot, mm -hmm. uh, and, and some folks, you know, taking a little longer because maybe they give a nickname as opposed to their legal name right. as they're trying to find them on the sheet. Yep. Uh, I've seen, you know, it's, it's, it takes, it is a lot of patience. Yeah. Yeah. So what will be uh, priorities for the uh, legislature in the new session, Tacky? Well, I think first thing we're going to do is see what the governor does with economic development bill. Yeah. Uh, we sent that up. Uh, it's not all new spending exactly. I did see some shuffling between accounts. I need to look at the bill a little more closely. Uh, so, uh, you know, we do about, we did about $3.76 billion of supplemental budget money, a little bit of opera money and some shifting money between accounts uh, to the governor. Uh, you know, obviously there are some local initiatives that are very important to our colleagues. Uh, you know, for us, we've got $500,000 for the John Adams Museum project, uh, which is a no short amount of money. It's a lot of money, <laughs> half a million dollars. You know, I grabbed about... Um, uh, 600, I think 650,000 uh, to help uh, move forward the dredging project in Quincy Bay. Uh, Neighbor Works picked up 100,000 uh, who does a lot of housing security issues and the uh, Manning Committee's housing has got a $100,000 as well regarding technology upgrades. So, I mean, you know, some important service agencies and projects in Quincy got funded from this beyond a larger picture of $57 million for a LIHEAP, which is low income heating system program. Uh, we're not waiting for the feds to send us money, but they don't send us money to January. Uh, we're getting a, we're trying to get money out in advance. We have money for workforce development. We have money for addressing healthcare. We're trying to help the hospitals out. Uh, uh, the federal reimbursement for COVID is not good. On uh, top of Medicare, uh, reimbursement's not that great for many hospitals. Uh, as we move into a, a, a slowly filling up hospital situation regarding um, the respiratory disease affecting children, as well as the flu, as well as COVID, and of course, just day-to-day -day life problems people will run across. They need hospital care. Uh, so, I mean, hospitals are you know, filling up a bit as we're moving along. And, uh, you know, we put in some money for things like the hotel industry. Hotel industry got very little assistance during the pandemic. Mm. And uh, this is trying to float them through what we're going to suspect not a good winter uh, for the hotel industry. And uh, the big part isn't the Hilton and the Marriott's. There's a lot of small independently owned franchise hotels like the Best Western or the Howard Johnson's or, you know, the little hotels and motels on Cape and along with three. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, these are family businesses, right? Yeah. Yeah, trying to help them out to float them through the wintertime uh, because we don't expect to have huge tourists and there's going to be some some type of COVID peak. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of money in there that, you know, addresses um, you know, local economic development issues. And whatever the governor vetoes, uh, if he vetoes, uh, you know, we can take up early next year. Uh, you know, you know, we've we've heard this over again. You know, governor, uh, governor elect uh, Moore Healy uh, wants to do a tax package. We obviously did not get to do our tax package this year because we're unsure the economy is. 
I still believe consumer confidence is going to fall uh, this holiday season. Uh, spending on consumers will be down a lot, in my personal opinion. And, uh, you know, hard decisions will be made by employers on labor shortage uh, versus cutting costs uh, addressed by inflation. This is uh, inflation impacted. We're going to make these hard decisions regarding workforce shortage, <laughs> even more workforce shortage to lay people off while trying to manage uh, consumer confidence going down and, uh, you know, infrastructure, you know, base of doing business going up. Um, so I think this winter time, there's going to be a lot of going, which is going to have an adverse effect on state revenues. So, you know, will we do a tax package? Possibly, but mm. uh, you know, I, I would wait until uh, after the holiday season, see where revenues are and try to project out what the next year is. Economists still believe that second quarter 2023 is when uh, we may see the full impact uh, of uh, the economic slowdown, as well as uh, the interest rates hikes, which is uh, probably going to go up again in December by the feds. So I mean, that's one of the issues coming up. And uh, you know, we'll all talk to the speaker, uh, uh, individually in groups over the next three or so months uh, to discuss priorities of different caucuses, as well as different individual legislators on big issues of policy, as well as little issues that affect us at home. So. You know, everything's on the table. It's a new session. Everything's wiped clean. We start over again. Yeah. January 5th, I think, is when um, Marhelia is officially sworn in. Is that right? No, we're sworn in. Uh, oh. Yeah, we're sworn in the first Wednesday of January. Okay. So, Go- Governor Baker's last, really, last official act, or actually has two official acts, really, when you think about it, in January. One is to swear in the legislature. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later is uh, Governor uh, officially uh, hands the keys uh, to uh, Governor Healy and proceeds the long walk uh, at his state house through the front yes. steps with his uh, 19 gun salute um, as he uh, uh, takes the solo walk out of the building through the front doors, the open doors and the main gates, and uh, goes on his personal vehicle. So he basically generally hands over the keys to the office as a ceremony, as well as um, I'm trying to remember which Bible, but it's a very old one. Same oh, one really? Yeah, it's the same one I've been using a very long time. Oh. Uh, both the lieutenant governor and the governor will pick a portrait uh, from the halls of the state house of a governor uh, to give them inspiration as part of their uh, term of office. Um, and then um, I'm hoping that leadership meetings between the Senate president, the speaker, and the governor will start pretty quickly. And the governor actually has more time to do the budget because this one in the let's see, first, like, third week of January, uh, they get to February uh, to do that. And then um, you ever get the speaker on the call to you, you can ask about committee assignments because um, yeah. <laughs> if you get to that, you can ask me that question. I'll ask um, him for you, Tacky. <laughs> put a plug in for me, Joe, please. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> me and the speaker are like this, Tacky. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we hope to have an assignment sometime in early February, perhaps. I, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. Speaker has a lot of vacancies to fill. We're looking at, I think, 18, at least 18 new representatives, at least. Okay, so he's got a lot of work to do, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the speaker uh, does actually meet us all individually. So you can imagine, you know, there's 159 of us. Um, and, uh, you know, he does actually talk to all of us individually. Hmm. Would you like to keep your current assignment? Yeah, I'm very uh, happy doing uh, the chairman of Consumer Protection Professional Licensure. Uh, I've been doing this 2017. Those that know my history, you know, I did this uh, when I worked for Michael Morrissey, when it was still called government regulations. Um, uh, but uh, of that, the committee was broken up to like four, 
well, three pieces, but now technically four because cybersecurity used to be part of government regulations and attend these four communities, um, you know, utilities and energy, as well as economic development and technologies, emergency tech was actually all part of government regulations at one time, but you know, more than half the committees, you know, licensing and consumer protection issues. So, um, you know, I, I, I like the job, I do the job well in my mind, um, but if there's other things that need to be done around here, obviously, you know, I'm very loyal to Speaker Mariano, our kid that make good in Quincy, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I will do what is asked uh, by the Speaker, uh, you know, in my role as leadership up here. So, but, you know, I don't anticipate changes, uh, but I've been wrong before, folks, so. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on around the world, Jackie. The rest of the world doesn't like what America's doing when it comes to climate change and the way it's being funded. Yeah, it's, uh, well, the whole world's having problems with climate change right now, to be frank. I mean, the Ukraine war really has uh, completely screwed everything up. Uh, still, COVID had created all kinds of disruption on supply chain, but also the energy supply chain, because mm-hmm. it's it's not on demand, it's projected use. And uh, it's on demand when you turn your switch on, but the energy uh, market uh, needs to be ready for when you turn your light switch on, whether it be renewable power or fossil fuels, either one has to be ready for you. Um, so it's, it's really like a mess. And Obviously, we're pumping out as much natural gas as possible out of, out of, the, uh, out of the country to get to places like Massachusetts, which is end of the line, but also over overseas. Um, yeah. A lot of LNG is sitting in Europe on its way uh, to try to make up the difference uh, caused by the Russians. Uh, and uh, you guys saw the Nord, Nord Stream 1 pipeline sabotage? Uh, Leak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that doesn't feel confidence uh, in countries in Europe uh, and, uh, and coal plants are being fired up. I mean, something we're trying to get rid of. Uh, European countries need to fire coal plants for the winter as they continue to wean themselves off of natural gas or potentially find themselves uh, with no natural gas. And you got, oh yeah, nuclear power plants in Ukraine that are being shelled, which yeah, apply yeah. power uh, not just to Ukraine, but also to geographic zones. Those, those uh, electrical grids all tied together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these guys were all Soviet Union countries. And uh, as a result, when they rebuilt the infrastructure after World War II, all of those electrical systems to Poland and Romania and Russia and Ukraine, I mean, all of them are tied together somehow. And if there's a huge disruption of a trickle generation, it just ripples around the grid. Yep. So, I mean, you know, there's a big problem there. So, I mean, obviously, we don't want to see more fossil fuel generation, but this is a global issue, it's a national security issue. Um, and even countries like in Australia, which is a huge coal exporter, you know, China's um, very like COVID shutdown economy situation, you know, and, and a country that actually did shut off their coal for three months and it actually end up no electricity for anybody because they forgot they got to replace the electricity when you shut a coal plant, something else has to be there. Yeah. You know, they had like rolling brownouts all last summer. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's great to shut down your coal plant, but the lights don't go on. It was doing something. It was there for a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to make sure something else is ready to go. Right. So, I mean, you know, and you also got the wind farms, you know, on the coastline, they're having supply chain problems too. And the cost of building a windmill has astronomically gone up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So in the papers, they really want to like renegotiate the contracts in the state. Because the the kilowatt hour they proposed was pre COVID pre war, yep. 
And, and now they're facing huge uh, rise in costs, as you can imagine, because steel and even, you know, they use fossil fuels. They use oil in Greece too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a windmill. The thing's got to be greased up. Mm-hmm. And also transporting these parts from around the world has gone up in price because fuel prices go up as well. So, you know, you know, there's obviously a huge uh, debate at DPU. Uh, the government made very clear they're not really the bids. So, you know, these wind farms will happen. Uh, but, you know, it, renewable power construction uh, will have a cost pay to weight pairs depending on what, where you are. So I think there's going to be an ongoing debate uh, as they're trying to figure this out at DPU about wind, launch wind build out. So, yeah, we got all kinds of uh, global climate change uh, issues. Uh, you know, as we try to not use fossil fuels, but now forced to because of geopolitics and, uh, and the adverse effects of supply chain of building renewable. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a step back. And I think it's going to delay um, the influx of um, electric vehicles also. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I was watching um, uh, CNBC and uh, they, uh, the um, financial channel, and they were really mm-hmm. talking about the fact that you don't see as much advertising by Ford right now. Yeah. They have no cars. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And you saw in China, for example, you know, Elon Musk basically, uh, let's, you know, um, how do I put this politely, um, uh, being overwhelmingly uh, uh, cooperative and uh, admiring of uh, the Chinese government as yes. pretty much have most uh, big biggest consumer of Tesla cars as well as uh, one of the largest plants uh, in the midst of constant COVID shutdown. And yeah, the president was asked about that last night and also had the similar big grin when, when he was responding. Yeah, I'm being polite. I mean, you guys can use your own words in your own minds about what I'm saying. But, uh, but I mean, even Apple, for example, Foxcom uh, was shut down. Uh, it is the largest supply of parts for iPhone assembly. It's, it's, uh, and it's going to be a supply chain problem this winter. And you saw videos of uh, Chinese workers trying to escape the plant before they got locked in. Uh, Shanghai Disney, I think we talked about this last time, was locked in for 10 hours over one COVID case. I mean, it's very extreme in China, uh, what they're doing to people. And uh, the people uh, have had enough at some level. I don't think there's going to be any rebellion. But I think, you know, COVID cases are going to rise because people are literally trying to avoid quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and uh, as a result, you know, quarantine tested and you're stuck in one spot for, for an extended period of time. And uh, what's actually remarkable is that for a country that has uh, a lot of uh, state media control and a lot of social media control, the fact we're finding this out is actually in itself remarkable. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, people are finding ways around that, which is interesting. Yeah, the, the country only allows happy news. They do not allow negative news out of that country. Well, the country's a big place, so if they lose control in one little area, a lot can get out. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the sensors and the artificial intelligence to use in the modern social media, you know, uh, it, it clearly, you know, can't catch it all. Because uh, once it's posted, you know, any media source that catches it uh, will save it and then repost it and then redistribute to to its own media. You watch That's self, right, yeah, self, um, um, uh, the self China Morning Post. Uh, you can go look it online, or you can look it on YouTube. You can find this information. It's actually owned by Alibaba. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Oh. But, you know, it's a good source if you want to learn about um, some uh, leaking news, essentially from China, uh, as well as um, uh, CNA uh, news. We can find online. It's literally the letter CNA. If you want to learn about what's going on. Um, so, I mean, you can you can watch it yourself. It's 
it's actually pretty uh, scary and fascinating at the same time. I bet. Yeah, I bet. It's interesting. Well, uh, anything else we should let folks know about right now, Techie? What's going on in uh, the district that we uh, are have coming up? Veterans Day, right? Yeah, Veterans Day is tomorrow. Today is a uh, Thursday, so tomorrow's Veterans Day. I'll be uh, marching the parade. I think uh, all the work and sacrifices that uh, families of veterans, as we celebrate the work of veterans and the commitment and help and all the wonderful things they do for our country. Uh, not it's not just military service. Veterans do a lot of things on military service and in civilian life. You know. Uh, you know, work with tribal organizations, uh, you know, and their com- commitment to family and community. So you know, tomorrow's the day we get to celebrate veterans mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, definitely do so. Um, and obviously Thanksgiving is going to come around. We're going to have the Thanksgiving parade um, at the end of the month. Um, and then uh, for me, I'm going to be at a conference next week in uh, Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Georgia, folks. Nice. Uh, <laughs> In the midst of this insanity uh, on TechNet. And uh, maybe we'll do a call from Melanta, maybe not. I'm not sure how we're going to manage that. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that. Uh, but it's going to well, be the same time zone. So <laughs> it'll be easier. It's a cybersecurity conference. Interesting. Uh, so it'll be uh, interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to see if I get an opportunity to visit a movie studio down there um, uh, to make all the Marvel movies down there. It's the biggest movie studio complex on the East Coast. It's called yeah. Tr- uh, Trilith. And, um, It'd be fascinating to see how they uh, do that. Georgia has actually a, a more generous uh, film tax credit. We are the second most generous film tax credit. And uh, the two states that are gobbling up a lot of movie industry work is Massachusetts and Georgia. So it'll be you know, interesting to talk about the impacts of film tax credit in their state and how it creates economic development. You guys see in the Patriot Ledger, there's a, 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 a Marina Ray Studios is in the Patriot Ledger. Yep. Uh, you know, be, you know, talk behind the scenes. Maybe you guys can take a camera crew down there at some point. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, different studio looks like. Um, and that, like I said, the uh, Technic is, uh, you know, represents 101 of the largest technology companies in the United States. Everyone from Google to Uber uh, are at this conference, uh, and uh, it'll be a good opportunity for me to learn more about, you know, how technology is changing. Uh, the theme of this year is, is uh, revolves around cybersecurity and. Uh, changes new technology um, and it's a good meeting read opportunity as well so yeah I, I try to learn new stuff folks it's actually part of my job maybe maybe you can stop by a town hall while you're down there and see uh see the runoff <laughs> <laughs> well well, well I, I suspect uh, uh there'll be plenty of local election news uh you i do actually you know click on local tv um yeah. so it'll be it'll be interesting how they uh frame it versus us watching CNN or or Fox News or MSNBC or any other media outlet. It'd be interesting yeah. what the local news says. Yeah, I agree. I always find uh, the, the the local outlets um, more more realistic. Let's say mm, absolutely, and and more you know uh, more diversity of like talking to people on the ground. Yes, right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, in the meantime, uh, how do we reach out to you, Techie? Well, uh, 617-722-2370 is the phone number. Just mash a button and uh, we'll get to a staffer and, uh, you know, we'll get your message, get back to you. Uh, tacky.chan at amyhost.jv, tacky.chan at amyhost.jv is still my email. As you can tell, I'm in my office. I still have one in room 42. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, how to find me there as well as uh, the state website, amylegislature.gov and State representative of Tacky Chan Facebook and uh, Tacky Chan at ORG and at Tacky Chan 
Twitter and uh, obviously QATV here. If you got a problem, call Joe. Don't call me. <laughs> I'll have Joe find me. How's that sound? I'll be sure to forward it to you. <laughs> All right, Tacky, good to talk to you. And once again, congratulations on your uh, strong reelection uh, to another term in office. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I look forward to working with my colleagues in government and you know, congratulate everyone uh, in any district uh, on a win. Um, and uh, you know, thank you so much for keeping me around. All right, we'll catch up uh, either uh, from Georgia next week or uh, back home the week after. Absolutely. Take care.